Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 158, for the 30th of July, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here with my friend and colleague, Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester, from a very summery winter's day. Well, uh, it's certainly summer here in Vancouver, and I'm going to be in for a little bit more of this as I depart for Las Vegas in a few days. And, uh, you know, we're already getting to the 40 degrees C range here in my in my condo, but I guess it's all just in preparation for the proper heat. But it's a dry heat. Doesn't that make it much easier? <laughs> yeah. Well, this week, uh, we finally wrapped up our Firefox poll where we asked people which browser they trust the most. And, and we were very careful to make sure it wasn't which browser do you use most frequently, which browser do you think has the prettiest Chrome. Uh, it was simply on a trust factor, you know, where do things stand? Uh, wh- what was uh, interesting in the results? What were your findings? Well, Chester, Firefox won, as it did a year ago. Last year, it just squeaked in with an absolute majority, just over 50%. This year, it pulled 48% of the votes. Uh, Chrome came second with 27%. But what was really interesting is that you can just about turn those figures around for which browser naked security readers like to use or are using, with Chrome pulling about 47 or 48% and Firefox somewhere just over 20%. So it seems that although lots of people use Chrome, not quite a majority, but nearly, um, they don't trust it half as much as they do Firefox, which is kind of interesting. We see that represented more in the Internet Explorer numbers in that, uh, you know, 14% of naked security readers currently are using Internet Explorer, yet 7% chose to trust it most in our poll. And and I think that's less surprising, right? There's always been some inherent distrust in what Microsoft is necessarily doing in the browser world. It may not even be mistrust that hey, Microsoft's in bed with the NSA as much as it's, hey, Microsoft's trying to steer things away from open standards. You know, they had a bit of a speckled past when it came to, you know, active server this and active X and, and their own version of Java and, you know, all this kind of stuff that made web pages not work on alternative operating systems and browsers. So maybe there's, you know, some, some lack of trust there. So in other news, uh, we have the Android platform Pirates and, and the police uh, in the United States, the federal police, the FBI, as everyone knows, arrested some uh, people operating pirate app markets. And to my surprise, at least, uh, the apps weren't Trojans. They were just stolen, right? The, the, uh, these alternative markets were actually shut down by the FBI in August 2012. So that's almost two years ago. And at the time, the FBI said, hey, this, this is the first time we've, we've done a takedown that, that deals with Android apps. And as you say, things got a bit worse for the guys behind these. Uh, some of them have already been charged and pleaded guilty. There are now six more guys being charged. They're just being charged with intellectual property offences. Basically, they took other people's apps. They didn't get permission. They ripped them off from one market and put them on their own. And where on the other markets, the guys were charging a fee, uh, they were giving these apps away for free. But they're not charged with anything to do with malware. Yeah, there's a couple of things this brings to mind for me. I mean, one is the shocking cheapness of mobile phone users not being willing to pay 99 cents to often maybe $2.99 for something on their $600 smartphones. Um, you know, the, the, there's just something ironic about that. <laughs> yes, well said. I mean, let's face it, 
if they don't care about this guy who's trying to make an honest living 99 cents at a time, how much do you think they care about you when you're downloading the app and put it on, putting it on your phone? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. And, and the other part, I guess, is the uh, research last fall by uh, Roland and, and Sophos Labs, uh, his Gin Master research showing how a lot of these things are simply rebundled with, you know, additional advertising networks and this kind of stuff to generate revenue for the crooks. So they may not necessarily be malicious, but in addition to sharing all your information with uh, Rovio and the NSA, they're also uh, bundling in a, you know, a bunch of advertising networks that are scooping up even more personal data about you along the way. It just seems like a small price to pay for some additional integrity. Yes, particularly if the app you're being offered for free is free anyway. So the Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, published some information about what they call panopticlick, or the cookie that won't go away, as, it, uh, as you might uh, think of it. And, you know, this story's been around for a little while, although it's gotten some, some fresh legs this week. Uh, it is an interesting problem, right? Because we worry about uh, the ever cookie, the super cookie, the magical flash cookie, um, all this kind of stuff, because we don't like being tracked, especially listeners of, of the Chet Chat podcast and Naked Security. We, we get lots of very clever, creative ideas from our listeners and readers about things they're doing to protect their privacy and do their best to not just be another number to an advertiser or a spy agency or whatever it is they may be concerned about. And this is one of those things that, to sum it up, it's sort of the idea that a whole bunch of seemingly innocent data points, when they're put together, don't really have that innocence anymore. Yes, there's not an awful lot you can do because the information that the EFF is using in their panopticlick checker is really stuff that individually nobody particularly associates with privacy or personally identifiable information. It's just they're making the point that sometimes you can combine lots of apparently innocent things and you don't need to it doesn't need to define who the person is. It just means if you're allowed if you're able to exclude the fact suddenly that I know that of all the three hundred million Americans, for example, you're not two hundred and ninety nine million of them then suddenly I know a heck of a lot more, 300 times more about you, if you know what I mean, um, than I did to start with. And in our final story, um, there was a UK travel site that um, seems to have, shall we say, uh, misplaced uh, 1 million plus credit cards. Fortunately, not all of those are valid, not to make all of our UK listeners panic. Uh, but it, it reminds me of something I'm quite fond of saying uh, quite frequently, actually, especially when I'm talking in public, which is there is no inside. You know, we really have to get away from this idea that if we store sensitive things in certain places, that somehow they're safe. And the examples I think of are, oh, you know, we'll encrypt our laptop hard drives because they leave the building. But our desktop hard drives, we don't need to encrypt those because they're going to stay inside the building like there's some magical force field. You know, everyone in the building is trusted and that stops hard drives from going outside the door. Yes, to be honest, just as an aside, Chester, if I had to choose whether I wanted full disk encryption on my laptop or my desktop uh, at work in the office, if I could only have one of them, I'd choose my desktop because my laptop, I can't take that with me all the time. You'll have to prize it out of my hands. My desktop, I know 12 to 20 hours a day or more at weekends. I have no control over it whatsoever. Yeah. And, and, you know, we keep seeing this with data, right? Which is, 
we've got some sort of sensitive data, be it health data, in this case, credit cards, other things like this. And, oh, it's, you know, it's in a SQL server inside the network. So, hey, no worries, right? If, if it was facing the scary World Wide Web, we'd protect it. But we don't need to protect it. It's in the accounting department. Probably it's worth actually explaining what, what happened in this particular case is that they had this e-commerce system, which was secured, apparently. And of course, that was where their customers would come in and book stuff online. And then internally, they had a separate business, which was to do with car parking. And they didn't want to let people book the car parking. They just wanted staff to be able to look stuff up about, you know, how many places are available, what are the rates, stuff like that, simple database. And they figured, oh, this is, you know, this is just an internal app. This doesn't really need security. It's not giving away any secrets. And you can imagine somebody says, oh, we haven't got budget to have a separate server for that. Just stick it in a corner of the server with the e-commerce. That site's already secure. And of course, you can imagine what's coming next. People wanted to be able to use it when they were on the road or working from home. So, hey, let's take this internal app and make it visible on the outside. They kind of knitted some remote access authentication page and stuck it in a secret URL as far as I can make out. Oh, yes, the secret URL. Nobody will ever discover the secret URL. Actually, what happened is the crooks did work out the URL. And secondly, they realized that this hastily knitted authentication page had a SQL injection vulnerability. So the crook was able to come in, uh, get into the administrative console and visit the secure database. In other words, suddenly the crook was on the inside and he wasn't just on the inside for the car parking database. He was on the inside of the SQL server. And that's how he made off with 1,163,996 credit card numbers, if you don't mind. And the great thing is, the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK, what the ICO said, simply put, is you violated the seventh of eight privacy principles in the UK, which is that security matters. And that's what they were nobbled for, £150,000 fine. Worrying about security later is not soon enough. You have to do it from the start. Yeah, and it can be inconvenient. You know, I'm, I'm working on some projects for some friends right now, helping them set up some cloud servers and this kind of stuff. And it's taking significantly longer at the front end because I'm ensuring that everything is being done correctly with security in mind from the beginning. And there's this, this built-up impatience of, well, can't you just turn it on so we can start doing stuff and then you can do that later? And, and I know that's going to end in tears. So uh, unfortunately, the project is, is to a slower start off the line, if you will. In the end, I have a great deal of confidence that we're going to be a lot more secure and be able to maintain that security for a greater period of time without having to re-architect things. And, and that'll pay off in spades. Would you agree that once you've gone through the exercise of putting security at the front of the train and not at the back the first time, then the next time that you need to deliver a project, then it just becomes second nature to do it the right way. Yeah, and it's not it's really not that hard. I mean it is a it is occasionally a, a minor speed bump. That's more about thought process than it is about actually securing stuff in my case. It's me sitting down and going, the time I'm spending that's additional is thinking through all the scenarios and being sure that I've considered what the opportunities for success and failure are rather than just rushing into it. So these are things that I probably should have done even without the security. And the security is just sort of the prompt to remind me that these things are very important. That concludes our stories for this week. Uh, I do want to remind folks, though, uh, I will be, along with some of my colleagues, uh, at the 
PasswordCon, Black Hat, and DEF CON conferences next week in Las Vegas, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast. Uh, we are a sponsor at Black Hat, so we do have a stand and would love it if you came by and said hello. We'll have a couple of our sales engineers and sales managers there. Um, I'll be in and out throughout the days of Black Hat on Thursday and uh, Wednesday and Thursday during the conference there. And the day before, if you're at PasswordCon, which is over where B-Sides Las Vegas is being held, I'm going to be hanging out at PasswordCon on Tuesday as well. And uh, myself and a whole bunch of uh, colleagues and friends uh, from the Sophos team will also be at the DEF CON conference on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday over at the Rio. So if you're fortunate enough to come to any of these conferences, please be sure to look us up. And uh, if not, Doc, we're going to do another podcast, aren't we? Yes. Uh, next week, we, even though Chester is going to be, uh, I was going to say parting hard, but you'll be conferencing hard. Uh, we'll do the regular chat chat. And then later in the week, we'll do a, what will it be, a 159 and a half, where I'm going to be asking you what are the interesting and exciting and possibly even important topics that have come up at Black Hat? What are the buzzwords? What are the things everybody's talking about? And of course, what are the things that we should actually be worried about in amongst all the, sadly, all the hype that inevitably seems to happen at uh, conferences of that size? So I'm hoping that you can give us some feedback on what we can expect in security in the next 12 months. Yeah, it should be a, it should be a pretty interesting week. Um, it's, it's often difficult to sometimes sort out people seeking press from people truly wanting to share information, but I'm sure I'll have some, some gems in there to share with our listeners. So that concludes Sophos Security Chat Chat 158. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Uh, all of our podcasts are over at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. Um, we're available on TuneIn, on iTunes, and via RSS. Until next time, stay secure.